Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. Opening up a second of three messages uh, and... What, a, what an interesting thing to say because we don't know what the afternoon's going to bring, but here we are right now. So let's just open God's word. Let's let the events of this afternoon unfold as they will. This morning we have gathered for the specific purpose of worshiping God. We have focused for the specific purpose of learning from God's word. We are in the middle of three sermons working our way to a greater understanding of the role and office of deacon in the church an office established by God for the care of his people that, unfortunately, when left to man's devices, often leaves the office improperly filled, poorly executed, and even a source of trouble in the life of the church. And this is not what God has intended for his people. I am thankful for faithful servants in the church. I am thankful for exemplary servants who serve the church. I pray that as we work through these teachings, we will come to that greater understanding and we will see something unlike the world has known, that people even here may be rejuvenated and revitalized in their understanding of Scripture and see men serving in a way that perhaps they have never seen before. We are seeking a greater understanding because whether we go forward as one church or as two churches, this is an office that is going to need to be filled. And as God's people, we need to understand biblically God's design for the deacon. However, we are not talking about deacons today. We are not talking about deacons last week. Lord willing, we will talk to, so we'll talk next week about deacons. This week we are focusing on the church elder the church elder. Last week we examined uh, in this short series the church member, discussing how without members of the local church, without Christians gathered specifically together, the reason of elders and deacons really begins to diminish and fade and it becomes non-existent. If church members, if Christians are not called together, well then what is the purpose of leading them? And I even point Uh, In my own study, when people contest church membership, the position of the church member, I even contest that if God has raised up servant leaders and servant servants, if you will, why has God raised them up if Christians are not supposed to be gathered specifically together? And so last week, the church member, we talked about church members having the responsibility to gather specifically They gather under God's authority. They gather to exercise the authority God has given them, uh, specifically overseeing church membership, overseeing church discipline, overseeing the affirmation of pastors, installing deacons among them, as well as any other sensible matters that they deem important as a church. That all of this works together, Paul wrote to to Timothy in 1 Timothy, so that we may know how to conduct ourselves in the household of God, which is the church. I mentioned last week, and I will again, that uh, this is more for me on the side of a lecture than a sermon. I question all the time. I don't even know if what I'm doing is a sermon. I don't know what a sermon is. I learn all about how to construct it and the parts that go into it. And I don't hold the three points in illustration and application, but that's what they say goes into it. And there's the structure of the Bible. This is much more lecture-esque to me. 
but driving it from God's word that we may learn and understand. So I do suppose at the end of the day, when you unravel the truth of God's word and present it to God's people that they may learn and grow, well, that's a sermon. So today, the church elder, ecclesiology is the study of the nature and structure of the church. Specifically, ecclesiology is what the Bible says about how a church operates, functions, is designed, its members, its leaders, its mission, its purpose, every aspect of the church defined by God's word. And where God's word does not specifically define it, it is up to those Christians gathered together to seek the wisdom of God and grow in their understanding of living life together as one another to honor God in that. So uh, today, our second part, focusing on the church elder. Interesting that it's right on the heels in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3. If you have a Bible, you can find your way there. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> as Paul writes to Timothy... He talks about the church elder, and right on the heels of talking about the church elder, he talks about the church deacon, and right on the heels of talking about the deacon, he says, 1 Timothy 3.15, if I delay, he wants to come, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church, I love this saying, a pillar and ground of the truth. We discussed very briefly in our Sunday school class this morning, the men, how through our relationship with the Lord, through our justification by faith in Jesus Christ alone, we gain knowledge. And as we look around in the world today, no one understands what's happening in Israel. No one understands the conflict between Arabs and Jews throughout all of man's history. But we as Christians do. Because God's word has unveiled the history of mankind, has shown us where that all originated, shows us why it is still perpetuated, and shows us how it will eventually end. And so we gain knowledge and wisdom, pillar and ground of the truth. We don't wonder. We don't waver. We don't look and say, what will happen? We know it will happen. So we walk in our knowledge. My goal today is to equip you, the church member, myself, all of us together, with a more robust view of the design and beauty of God's church. How the people fit and work together. What they do that we may more closely follow it and so glorify God in a greater way. <clears throat> Along with establishing deacons in the church, you should know that there is no, probably no more leading prayer, first and foremost, than for the salvation of lost souls followed by God making elders among us, followed by God bringing deacons to serve, followed by the growth and strength of the church, God's people together. This is a regular prayer. So as I talk about the church elder this morning, I'm talking about something that uh, Pastor Collins and myself, we pray for regularly. I ask you to pray for regularly. I ask my pastoral friends to pray for regularly, and I also pray for them. This is something uh, that is... Uh, perhaps new to many, but the idea that a church would be served by a multitude, which we'll get into, a plurality of elders. My goal is today that you would gain a greater understanding of the position of the church elder and that that would increase your life of devotion and prayer, that God would raise this up among us. I say all of that also to say that my remarks are pretty specific and concise because I love the topic of church ecclesiology. 
and I could rail on it all day long without end and put all of you to sleep because I love it and it goes so deep into the life of a Christian. So I wanted to make sure to confine my comments uh, to what would be helpful and instructive to us. So what is an elder? You may be asking, what is an elder? I have this simple definition. Simply, one set apart by God the Holy Spirit for the specific care and instruction of God's people through the ministry of God's word and prayer. Again, just a simple working definition. An elder is one set apart by God the Holy Spirit for the specific care and instruction of God's people through the ministry of God's word and prayer. An elder is a pastor, is a shepherd, is an overseer, is, if we want to get really high church-worded, a bishop. Please don't ever call me that. (laughs) These terms throughout the scripture are synonymous with one another. In our life, in the course of human history, we have seen differentiations brought to all of those different terms, but biblically, elder, pastor, overseer, bishop, synonymous words with one another. An elder is a pastor, is a shepherd, is an overseer, is a bishop. Varying interpretations have caused us to even have different practices for those offices. You can go to even other uh, churches within the stream of, I'll say, orthodox Christian faith, and you can find different practices surrounding these titles their placement, what they do, who they're over. You can step outside of the Christian faith, and this may be a shocking statement, but you can step outside of the Christian faith to the Catholic Church, specifically the Roman Catholic Church or the Orthodox Church that is known by a Catholic name, and you can find varying levels as they ascend, like A deacon in those realms is just one who is aspiring to be a priest, who's aspiring to be a bishop, who's aspiring to be a cardinal, who's aspiring to be whatever is above that, all the way up to maybe one day I'll be the pope. It's become a disaster as man strays from what God said to his people, man has distorted and perverted what we now see. It's interesting Shepherd, pastor, overseer, bishop. We think, wow, that's really strange, all those different words. No, it's not really that strange. And I wrote this note down. Uh, We might understand it in our own day and even in not so distant past through uh, words like priest, reverend, parson, or preacher. Even in our own context, we've had different words to define that one who's been set apart to care for and instruct and shepherd God's people. I want to give you a brief survey of some biblical references. I have three for us to consider this morning. And as I give you these, I want you to note, you can turn with, hold your spot in 1 Timothy and turn to Acts chapter 20. Uh, We're going to look at a few verses. I want you to see them because what I want you to see is that I'm not just making up the the, uh, synonymous nature of elder, pastor, bishop, overseer. These are one and the same word throughout God's word. So Acts chapter 20, I make you do some biblical work this morning and everybody said amen. Acts chapter 20. 
We're going to look at three verses in Acts chapter 20, verse 17 and 18, and then down to verse 28. Acts chapter 20, verse 17 says, Now from Miletus, Paul, Luke is recording this, he sent, I believe it says, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the, you can note this as we're going along, called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, down to verse 28, he he opens, there's an an opening statement here, but down to verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, I want you to note that word, he called the elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Turn now a few books further in the New Testament to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. Pastor, you're making us use our Bibles. Yes. In Acts chapter 20, elders, flock, overseers, Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. And appoint elders in every town. He goes on to begin listing qualifications in Titus chapter 1. Appointing elders in every town. In verse 6, if anyone is above reproach, he talks about an elder needing to be above reproach. Appoint elders in every town if anyone is above reproach. Verse 7, for an overseer as God's steward. That's an important statement to underline, actually. Like, this is where we define the church as belonging to God and under the responsible care of men. An overseer as God's steward. A pastor, a shepherd, an overseer, a bishop is stewarding what belongs to God. He does not own it. He is stewarding something that belongs to God placed over. So here in Titus, appoint elders in every town. If anyone is above reproach for an overseer, as God's steward must be above reproach. One last stop on this three-stop tour, the book of 1 Peter chapter 5. You're in Titus, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Very similar to the reference in Acts, 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2. So, Peter writing, so I exhort the elders among you, down into verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So again, three different words right in this one reference. Exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So how could we understand it if we use those other terms uh, interchangeably? So I exhort the overseers among you, oversee the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So that even gives us a glimpse into multiple words to say the same thing. Well, that sounds silly to use over, over, over all the time. So I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. I like that word, shepherd. I, 
I don't know, what am I, it's 2023, 2012, so I guess I'm 11 years into a pastoral uh, calling. Some might say career, but that's a terrible word for a pastor. I'm 11 years into a pastoral calling, and I can tell you that in the first probably 11 years of that pastoral work, I'm not sure I understood what shepherding was. And you'll note that I said 11 years into, and 11 years later, I'm not sure what it, under, what it means, because I'm still learning what it means to be a shepherd. It's easy to be a pastor who simply stands in front and says things and tells people what to do, but in order to be a shepherd, you have to smell like sheep, and I'm a sheep with you, so there's that. But any pastor who isn't walking around in sheep stuff, who doesn't have sheep sick on them, who isn't right there with the sheep, is really no shepherd of people. You're disconnected, you're removed, you're not exercising or caring for the flock of God that is among you. And so, one, I had to recognize my own stench and be thankful that God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, condescended to help this sin-sick sheep. And then, in, in only his wisdom, said, Son, care for my sheep. Okay, I don't really know how to do that. But we see, referenced over and over when it comes to elders, they are to shepherd. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight. The flock of God in Acts 20. In fact, in Acts 20, Paul would say to the Ephesian elders, for fierce wolves will come and he escalates the idea of a shepherd. Not only are you caring, you're also protecting and defending against things that would come and take that which belongs to God. And I'm learning more and more about what that means. We learn two things from this simple survey of verses. One, an elder is absolutely tasked with the care and oversight of the church as a whole. And two, subtly noticed, I hope it was picked up upon. If you know me close, you know that I hardly ever talk about elders as an elder Drawing our instruction from God's word, the office, of off, the office of elder is always plural. Elders, pastors, overseers, bishops. I want to make this point right now. I think it fits. It's the right spot to make it. I believe it is correct for us to understand. Biblically, we struggle to find a reference to a singular elder. Pastor, why do you say plurality of elders? Why do you talk about the elders? Why do you want more elders? Because biblically, we struggle to see an elder. I found these references. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 5, you might still be there. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. So qualifying himself as one among. I exhort you as a fellow elder. I exhort the elders uh, among you. Uh, John opens his second and third letters, second and third John, with these words, the elder to. So he, as an elder, is writing to uh, the church at large, a specific church. The only other time that we ever see elder in the singular form is when the qualifications are given for those men who would be elders. An elder must be. An group of elders, a plurality of elders must be. 
when the qualification is given, we see it there. Nearly every other reference that we find to elders is plural. Therefore, biblically, the case stands that a flock of God should be overseen when possible, when God provides, by a plurality of elders. And I could go off the rails here as to why it's a plurality. I've done that previously in our study through Exodus when I talked about Moses needing help, the advice he gets from Jethro, and then the action that Moses takes in appointing many people to the oversight and care of the people of God. So all throughout God's word, we see examples of God's people being cared for, even down to the subtlety of this reference. And there were in the same country shepherds keeping watch over their flock. Many pastors It's to your great advantage to be praying for God to raise up pastors to serve among you. Well, pastor, that helps you too, doesn't it? Yeah, it helps all of us to see God raise up pastors from among us. What is an elder? An elder is a man, or better said, group of men, tasked by God with watching over his specifically gathered church, his people. So, okay, that's what an elder is. What is an elder? Uh, A man set apart by God the Holy Spirit, tasked to watch over and care for God's people. Who can do that? Who can be an elder? Perhaps the easiest point for me to make, but one that I want to do so tenderly, There is perhaps, in my opinion, there is perhaps no more controversial topic in the world today, in the church world specifically, not in the world at large, among Christians, there's probably no more larger controversial topic than the matter of who can be a pastor, who can do this work in the church of God, major uh, church conventions, uh, associations of churches are working and striving to define because man, as they stray from what God's word says, man starts to interpret and starts to bring in their own thoughts and opinions. And the reality is God's word is clear on this. We are talking specifically about who can be a shepherd, who can be a pastor in the church rather than who can be an elder the better way to ask the question is, who is authorized by God's word to oversee and care for God's people? Who is authorized by God's word to specifically oversee the locally gathered church? And the answer resoundingly throughout scripture is men. This is controversial because in our day, in our age, as humanity evolves and, and whatnot, we have seen even throughout history in non-church-related issues the rise of women to power and authority in the world. I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about within the household of God. The Bible over and over shows that men are whom God has authorized and who God appoints to lead and oversee his household in this world. All of the specific qualification passages point to men, and this, though disputed in our days, has stood for centuries without dispute. Throughout recorded history, without dispute, the church has collectively recognized that God's word authorizes men to be pastors and to shepherd and care for the gathered church. Now, 
I wrote this statement and channeled it through several people because my dear sisters in the room, I don't want you to hear, sit down and be quiet. We men have it under control because I know that out there in other churches that exists. So this specifically prepared statement and I prayed through the words so that you could understand for my own personal part in all of this, my heart. I ran, at John, ran past John and said, Brother, is this, this, is, this is where we are. Yes, this is where we are to our dear sisters in the room, especially the younger ones who will continue to grow in a world that wants to utterly discard and rewrite God's word to suit its own desires. My dear sister saints, you who deal with my personal misgivings, you who endure my failings as a man, my fellow elder, my fellow future elders, many of you may be very well capable of overseeing the church and probably could even do a better job at times. But God has not authorized you to that office. God has placed beautiful offices for women in the church. Your role cannot be diminished. Your role should not be overlooked. As a pastor, if I am not caring for you as a woman in the church properly according to God's word, I implore you to call me out on it. But God has not authorized you to be pastors in the church. Now, women will struggle with that and you can go anywhere in the world and find churches that will agree, I will simply leave this statement at please, please, please. Draw down into the wisdom of God's word and seek the knowledge and power of the Holy Spirit in understanding this design for God's gathered church. Though not authorized to lead the church, the Bible in no way shape, or form removes the necessity of women in the church. And that is the great problem of our day. We've taken a one or the other position. Instead of looking for God's beautiful, complementary process and design and asking and working and slugging our way through life and saying, how do we do this the way God intends? Instead of taking broad swipes that go above the line of God's word and go below the line of God's word. And holding the tension of the line of scripture is very, very difficult. Who can be an elder? Men. What are the qualifications? I'm going to list them, but I'm not going to dive into each specific qualification uh, because we simply don't have time for that. I would love to do that. If you want to study this out further, if you want to talk with me about it, if you want to study it on your own, 1 Timothy chapter 3 is the, the go-to passage. What are the qualifications of an elder? How do we understand who can be, okay, men can be an elder, but how do we know what men? How do we define what men? Any man? Can any man be an elder? No, not any man can be an elder. Just as God has not authorized women to oversee the care of the church, God has not authorized all men to oversee the care of the church. The Bible says the Holy Spirit does that work and calls out people to these specific offices. So simply, the first qualification of an elder, he must be a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, duh, pastor. Yeah, well, duh, there's pastors out there that aren't born again. 
A pastor must be a regenerate, born-again believer in Jesus Christ. He should be able to explain the gospel in, in as short of a time, in as long of a time. He ought to understand basic doctrinal tenets of the Christian faith. He ought to be able to refute when somebody says something that's wrong. He ought to be able to counter that in love, politely, correctly, offering what the Bible says. Aside from an elder being a man, the Bible provides several lists of qualifications. The premier passage among them is 1 Timothy 3, but you can look in Titus chapter 1. You can look in 1 Peter chapter 5. You can pay very careful attention to all of the qualities of the Lord Jesus Christ and see what a shepherd should be and learn from him. The go-to passage, 1 Peter, you can, or 1 Timothy, you can turn there, 1 Timothy chapter 3, if you're holding your spot waiting, go back to it right now. At the very onset, we find this chief among the qualifications of an elder. You, you should know, men in the church, uh, as we pray, as we talk about God raising up future elders, this is where we start. When, when John and I come to the table and we pray, God, would you increase the elders of this church to serve your people in a more effective way to the glory of your name, the first thing we talk about is, do they desire that? Is that something they aspire to? Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. The saying is trustworthy, which means bank on this. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. If anyone aspires to. Now, some may read that and say, Pastor, you just said anyone after saying only men. So what are we, what are we talking about? Yes, I, I understand that. You may be saying, Pastor, I have friends who hold a different belief than I do here, but I don't know how to counter them on they say the Bible says if anyone aspires to. Uh, it's interesting, I did some work to help you in your conversations with those who may challenge you on this point. If you picked up on hearing that the Bible says anyone, but the belief is only men, men can be uh, pastors or elders in the church, then you are learning textual criticism, and that's a good thing. Paying attention to the words on the page, how they fit together, and what they mean is extremely important. If we simply said, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, you'll note that it says he desires a noble task, not they desire a noble task. We could then run and say, if anyone, women wrapped up in the curse on you because of sin were the words from God to Eve, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. And so, devout Christian woman in the room, please know that I understand this is something that you wrestle with. Maybe some more than others, maybe some have dealt with it and put it away. If we're not careful here, if anyone, but then the Bible goes on and says, he. So I wanted to see, what, does, uh, what do other versions, other translations say? Several versions use man. If any man aspires. And those are King James, New King James, New American Standard, and American Standard. They were the only four English translations of the Bible where I could find the use of the word man here. Several others simply say any. So, again, to help you also growing in your understanding of how to study God's word, to figure this out, we go to the immediate context. And if you would follow along in these few verses, know what it says. I'm going to highlight and move through right in verse 1. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Verse 2, the husband 
of one wife, that's a man, verse 4, he must manage his own household well, keeping his children submissive, verse 5, for if someone does not know how to manage his household, how will he care for God's church? He, verse 6, must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up. Verse 7, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace. Eleven masculine references in seven verses. This is why it's not disputed throughout history. There's no confusion about those words being interpreted forward from ancient Greek languages, and in all the manuscripts they are copied over and over in, it establishes it. So if you are working with someone, if you are desiring to drill down deeper into it, then textual criticism says anyone is probably not the best word in verse 1. The better word would have been if any man. And when you drill back into the Greek word of anyone, it talks about if any person, but then it's qualified by the rest of scripture. So uh, I hope that I've helped make us all smarter in how to look at and read and analyze scripture. I do it every day. I sit in that office back there. Lord willing, after today, I'll be able to continue doing that. But if you ever want to study the Bible together, we can sit and look through scripture and I'd be more than happy to show you how to find these things, examine these things, because they are important. Specific scriptural context does not allow us to render any as if a man or a woman aspires to, nor does the greater biblical context. Paul wrote the same thing to Titus, if any man aspires to. Now, the greater point to it all, desires, wants to be. There are brothers in the room I've had great conversations with who want to be. The Greek word here carries, and I think this is important, desires, aspires, wants to be. The Greek word here carries the thought of reaching out for, straining after, to take hold of. Like this is not just a, yeah, I think I want to do that. This is like something's in me and I can't explain it. I, 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 I want to do that. I, I desire to do that. Now there may be timidity masking that. I remember when I was first called as to serve as a pastor, and I, I literally responded with, you sure there's anybody else you could ask? I, I don't know. Maybe you could ask somebody else if they want to do that because there is a fearful understanding of what a pastor is. I've had conversations with many brothers who are like, oh, I don't desire that job for all the money in the world because I know what that means. I understand what that is. I got, and again, we're going to get to in a minute, God makes those men. They don't just, you can aspire to it, but desire is not enough, and that's why the list of qualifications follows. If anyone desires to be an overseer, they must desire it. Why? Because you may have a good and humble brother who wants to serve as an overseer, who does not want to serve as an overseer, who you want to have serve as a pastor, and you may end up forcing that brother to serve in that way. And the Bible says that an elder must not serve under compulsion, but willingly. Like, nothing holds me up here other than my desire to be what God has made me to be. Desire, Paul says in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, something significant, so significant about men becoming elders. First, desire, but not just the desire. There are other things, and this should guide us. Paul says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. We talked last week about the responsibility of a church member. What do you do? You affirm the work of the Holy Spirit in a man's life 
and see them raised up to the office of pastor or elder among you. A man becomes a pastor because God the Holy Spirit makes him one. It is the church's beautiful responsibility to affirm that work. We see and celebrate, God, what you have done in providing a shepherd to care for us, to minister in the word to us, to pray for us. Like, what a beautiful thought. Know this. I wish there was somebody praying for me. A godly, biblical pastor is praying for you all the time. I'm not talking about just myself or any other elder in this position. I'm saying that if a man in this position is given to God's word, they are laboring in the word and prayer for you. And every single day you can say, and I say even in my own life, you're like, well, well you're a pastor. There's another I have a pastor in this church who prays for me. I have other pastors in other churches who pray for me, like faithful pastors pray for people. And I thank many of you who are not pastors who also pray faithfully. Thank you. But at the end of the day, if you're like, I just wish somebody out there was praying for me, a godly biblical pastor is doing that. We hear the struggles, hear the, the, the trials of life. We know the tribulations, the setbacks, the things that are facing you, and we pray for those things. We know the marriage tensions, the financial situations, the job changes, the parenting struggles, the housing moves, the economy, and all these things we pray for. Oh, God, would you give wisdom to your people as we watch the news and wonder what is going on in the world? Would you please, God, give wisdom to your people? A man becomes a pastor because God, the Holy Spirit, makes him one. In order for a church to affirm the work of God, the Holy Spirit, God wrote a longer list of qualifications. It does not end with simply desiring. It does not end simply with somebody wanting to be and the people recognizing there is an order of things that are to be identified as, is this man qualified? Why? Because if not, I promise you, wolves will come in like that. Because unfortunately, Lord forgive me, there is no more gullible group of people than God's people. Wait a second. What would you say? Whoa, I've read the Bible. Led astray at every turn by the wickedness of our hearts. And if a wolf slips in. So we have qualifications to help a wolf from slipping in. These qualifications are intended to find out if the Holy Spirit has done a work or if a wolf is wearing lamb's wool or to put it plainly, if a false teacher has snuck in. Why? Because the Bible clearly warns many will come and many will say what itching ears want to hear and will work to lead people astray. I'm not going to dissect all the qualifications. I just read them briefly ago, highlighting all of those uh, verbs, he, I think they're verbs, maybe they're adjectives, pronouns, whatever. <clears throat> When it comes to the qualifications, I have these two points for us to consider today. One, no man on the face of planet Earth meets them perfectly. Please do not ever have the thought or opinion that a pastor to you is a perfect man. There is only one perfect man, and that is the Lord Jesus. He is the only one who perfectly obeyed all of God's righteous decrees. However, that doesn't mean that we say, well, it's okay, we know he really struggles in that area. A man whom the Holy Spirit has made a pastor has a list of qualifications that they are to first even be held up against, like, do they meet these things? 
Do you meet these qualifications? If they're found to meet them, it's not just, oh, well, one time long ago we checked off a list and they were good. No, a pastor is to maintain, I would say, better than meet, to maintain and grow in the qualifications that are listed. Why? Because a pastor is to serve as an example to the flock. I tremble at those words. Like the Bible authorizes me to say, consider my manner of living and follow me as I follow Christ. (sighs) Why? Trust me, no one knows my own weakness more than me. I know my sin. And no one knows my sin and my weakness more than my family. But a pastor is one that people can look at and say, I see an example of what a Christian is and I'm going to go after it. I'm going to follow in my own life the example before me. We see this with pastors, we see this with deacons, and just so we're all uncomfortable in the room, we should see that one to another. We ought to look around the room in the church house and say, look at these Christians, I can follow that. I can strive for that in my own life. You can't be another person, but you can strive for what God calls us to. A church must always be looking for a man who maintains and is growing in the qualifications that God sets forth. Listen, some of these I struggle to meet sometimes. Like, there are men in the room who know I can be quarrelsome. I fight in my flesh sometimes wanting to quarrel. But what does God say? He must not be quarrelsome. So what must I do when the quarreling starts to come out? And boy, does it sometimes start to come out. I have to take it and say, no, Lord, I'll put this away. You have not called me to be quarrelsome. That's hard. Like I strive at that. So what do I do? I maintain not being quarrelsome and I seek to grow and I pray, I think actually in my own life, and only you can really attest to it, I think that I'm seeing God help me grow in not being quarrelsome. As I submit to him, I hope that you're seeing God grow in you. I hope you're not sitting here today being the same person you were yesterday. I hope there's something about your life that you can look at and say, I was that, but I'm growing. You know what? That used to really make me, spilled milk used to make me lose my mind. And I don't do that anymore. Praise God for his work in growing you as his person. So one, qualifications of an elder, no man can perfectly meet, but men must maintain and grow in them. They should maintain, meet. We see this as a trait in you. We do not see this. That is evidence of the Holy Spirit doing a work. Second, we talked about this at the retreat this past week, and I appreciated the pastor who brought this word to us. We, as a people, are so drawn to giftedness. I actually shared with the men, uh, and I don't remember if it was a small group discussion or if it was just discussion at large, but I actually shared this part because we were talking about how there is uh, four different levels, if you will, to our living, and I'm not going to remember all of them, but we were talking about uh, competency and commitment and character and our core, who we truly are when all those other things are stripped away, who we are at the core. And when it comes to competency, this is an example from my own life. We're drawn to giftedness. Any athletes in the room? You don't have to raise your hand. Any aspiring artists or writers? Any builders? Any hunters, fishermen, gardeners? We aspire to giftedness, and we have pictures of people in those qualities of our life where we're like, wow, man, they got it nailed. Their garden is, they're such a gifted gardener because it is so beautiful, and mine is definitely not. What an awesome artist. I wish I had that talent. What a beautiful singer. I wish I had that ability. We are drawn to giftedness. As a pastor, it is so awesome to sit under the teaching of a man 
who is fluent in Greek and Hebrew. I love it. You're like, oh my gosh, how boring. No, I love it. When they're just like, they can open a Greek New Testament, and by Greek New Testament, I mean it's in Greek, and they can point to a word, and, blah, 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 and it's this, and they talk about, and the root of that is because God is, what? What has he done? Gifted them in learning. They're retaining knowledge. They've learned. They're, it's, it's awesome to sit under someone who is fluent in Greek and Hebrew, whose understanding of what Paul wrote to Timothy then, meant to Timothy then, that's called exegesis, when you understand what the author wrote to his audience and what that meant for that audience, and then is able to draw that forward and give application and make illustration, I love gifted preachers. I love it. But if gifted preaching is wrapped up in moral failure... We are drawn to giftedness, but what we must be drawn to is, has the Holy Spirit of God done a work in a man? I've had people say, Pastor, you're so gifted. Yes, I received the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has done a work, and the Holy Spirit helps me to continue growing in the work that the Holy Spirit has done. Let's remember that for a pastor, godly character always trumps giftedness. Look at the qualifications. If you have your Bible open to 1 Timothy chapter 3 right now, look at it. Above reproach, husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, managing his household well, not a recent convert, well thought of by outsiders. Tell me how many of those things had to do with giftedness. able to teach. It's the only qualification of a pastor that has to do with giftedness. The rest have to do with a man's moral character, his godly character, his dignified, self-controlled life. I'm so thankful for godly men who are weak and frail teachers. Because, oh, the work of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. What is an elder? They're an overseer. Who can be an elder? A man who meets and maintains and grows in qualifications. Lastly, what does an elder do? Well, I know the jokes. Remember, I'm a pastor's son. I've been hearing them all my life. So what do you do all week long? Nothing. Pretty light schedule. And everybody's like, oh man, men's retreat, that'll be fun. Yeah, it's fun. I love it. When you're a shepherd, you're always a shepherd. Like, I go and I rest and I love the guys I go with, but you're always a pastor. You're always concerned for, you're always thinking about, you're always praying for. You always know the situation's represented. You know you're coming to church on a Sunday morning where you're going to sing and pray and preach and love everything and make a decision that may never allow this to happen ever again. That's the weight of being one who cares for the people of God. What does an elder do? Well, much as with a church member, there is scriptural and sensible responsibilities. I'm going to run through these fairly quickly. If you miss these scriptural responsibilities of an elder, please, I'll, I'll be happy to share my notes with you. Uh, but I'm just going to 
give you these fairly quickly. Matters of scriptural elder responsibility. I want to warn you, the sensible sensible responsibilities is a much longer list. Matters of scriptural elder responsibility, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, says that an elder is to be exercising oversight, being examples to the flock. See, I didn't make it up. A pastor is to be an example. You should be able to look at a pastor and learn something in your life from how that man lives his life, not just by what he says to you, but how he lives, how he, how he is a husband, how he is a father, how he is a man in the community, how he is a person to you. Being examples to the flock, exercising oversight, being examples. Hebrews 13, 17. And there's some debate on what the word uh, leaders means in Hebrews 13, 17. We take the greater context. I do believe that what they're talking about are pastors or elders in the church, shepherds in the church. Hebrews 13, 17. They are keeping watch over your soul. Good heavens. Prone to wander, Lord, you feel it. Prone to leave the God you love. Take their heart, Lord, take and seal it for thy courts above. That's the prayer of a pastor. That's the song a pastor sings, and he also sings it for himself. Keeping watch over your souls. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5 says they are to care for God's church. 1 Timothy 3.2 says they must be able to teach. Titus 1.9 says they must hold firm the trustworthy word as taught so that they may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. In Acts chapter 6, verse 4, one of the responsibilities of an elder is identified in the words of Peter who says we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. There's a reference in Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter Five, maybe it's verse 19 about those who labor, especially in word and doctrine. Like a pastor should be given to studying and knowing the scripture. Why? Because God's people benefit when a shepherd feeds them the food that God has provided for his people. That's funny. Sometimes I think about, and there's so many farmers in the room, you can make these jokes, but sometimes I think about like a shepherd and sheep, and I think of, like there are strategic feeding programs and all that stuff, but if we think about shepherds in their day, it was this, hey sheep, dunk, 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 throwing grain. Hey, hey sheep, just pitching grain. That's really what a pastor is doing. You're taking the good food of God's word and you're saying, sheep, sheep, eat, feast on this food. It's good for your soul. It's nourishing. It will help you grow well. Why? So you can be a pleasing sacrifice. Pleasing and acceptable to God as you grow and know his word and know him better. Ephesians 4.11 and 12 says that a pastor is a gift from God to the church for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of ministry. I'm not here just to speak because I love preaching, because I love opening God's word. I'm here to speak because you as Christians have a responsibility and a job to do. And when pastors exercise the role that God has given them, when a church elder exercises the care and shepherding work of God's people, saints are equipped to go and do the work of the ministry. You learn how to evangelize, you learn how to pray, you learn how to lead, you learn how to be a Christian as God's word has defined it. Matters of scriptural responsibility, those are the ones I highlighted. I have no doubt we could find many more if we spent time doing it. I know of others. Matters of sensible responsibility. Oh, pastor, you said this is the long list. Yeah, so long that I've narrowed it down to this. 
It's all those things that pastors do that fit into what pastors are called to do. Example, marriage counseling. We're not called to counsel people in their marriages. It's sensible, though, for a pastor who's called to give instruction in sound doctrine to sit down with people who are struggling in their marriage and say, brother, sister, the Bible says this. Weddings and funerals. Well, that's the pastor's job. I mean, good luck finding any kind of biblical reference where the Bible says that a pastor has to do weddings and funerals, but it's sensible. Why? Because sometimes unsaved people want to get married, and you want to talk about an opportunity to present the gospel of Jesus Christ? Talk about a man and a woman falling in love. Have them sit in front of you and say, Pastor, we want to get married. Oh, yeah, why? Because we love one another. Do you know Jesus? No. You go to church? No, I'm so glad you're here. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ who loved you and gave himself for you as a sacrifice for sin. Matters of sensible responsibility. Sometimes it's as easy as changing a light bulb. Sometimes it just makes sense for a pastor to just change a light bulb. However, and what a segue into deacons, Lord willing, next week. The very reason that deacons exist is because pastors aren't supposed to be changing light bulbs. In fact, they're not even supposed to be feeding widows who are going hungry. They're supposed to pray and preach. And as they pray and preach, along come these servants known as deacons who see to those tangible, practical needs and thrive in the church. Okay, that's enough. We can talk more and more and longer and longer. Church, we need shepherds after God's heart. We need shepherds that God makes. We need elders among us. We need more elders. We need to not only be praying for our church, I want you praying for Faith Church in Linden. I want you praying for Duran Methodist Church. I want you praying for churches around the world. I want you praying for the church in Israel. They need pastors. Churches need pastors, and we should be praying, especially for our own local body. We need elders, qualified, maintaining, and growing in qualifications, set apart by the Holy Spirit to care for us, to pray for us, to lead us. Father, we thank you for your word today, and though I feel the frailty of my flesh, I thank you that your word endureth forever. I praise you, God, that anything I've misspoken can be ironed out and straightened around by the truth unwavering of your word. I thank you for helping me today, Father, and I pray that you have helped those here gathered as well. Father, I pray that you would raise up capable qualified men desiring to serve your people, to bring you greater glory, to proclaim your gospel in a greater way, to care for your people more specifically. Father, would you raise up elders among us? Father, for churches around that are lacking pastors. Father, for the church at large where men are running away from the ministry and not entering into it. Oh God, I pray among gathered Christians that you would raise up pastors from among them. This is your work. This is what you do. You set men aside to care and lead and guide your church as shepherds. Father, send workers into your harvest field. We thank you for your word this day in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.